Well, here we are again in another lockdown. Feels like deja vu, doesn't it? For many of us, lockdown means working from the confines of home and the wonderful joys of all-day Zooming. For others of us, it means juggling our work and housework with homeschooling kids. And let's face it, that can bring all sorts of challenges. Like, for example, the other day, when one of my children, who shall remain, remain nameless, to protect the guilty, borrowed my work computer in order to Zoom with their class. And then... Proceeded to, proceeded to change my Zoom profile picture to this. Ah, yes. How very professional looking. And now, for the life of me, I cannot work out how to change it back. <sighs> if only you could say, Siri, homeschool the children. Yes, life in lockdown can be pretty stressful, can't it? the disruption to our routines, the constant interruptions if you live with people, the dreary isolation if you don't. And when we're stressed out, it's easy for us to turn on one another, isn't it? To be irritable, to to find fault, to bicker and quarrel with our housemates or family. And if we're not careful, our homes can start looking a whole lot like a scene out of Lord of the Flies. You know, a horrid descent into savagery. Because I'm sure you'd agree, when we're under pressure, it's easy for us to stop loving others and simply go into survival mode, just loving ourselves. So how are you going with it all? Well, over these last few weeks here at church, we've been looking together at the letter of 1 John. And we've seen that the Jewish Christians to whom John is writing also find themselves under a great deal of pressure. It seems that their little community has been rocked by false teachers who have come among them and convinced some of their members that Jesus isn't really the Christ, persuading them to to go back to Judaism. Can you imagine the situation? These Jewish Christians were no doubt already feeling the pressure for their decision to follow Jesus, pressure from their Jewish family and friends. And now, a bunch of people they once worshipped alongside have left and joined the chorus of voices telling them that they're not really on God's side. They're isolated, harassed. It's a pressure cooker situation. And it's in this context that John puts pen to paper both to challenge and to encourage these beleaguered Christians. And I think today's passage has a lot to say to us in our situation too. If you don't already have a Bible open in front of you, let me encourage you to grab one now and turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. John begins today's passage with a, a simple yet profound exhortation. Let us love one another. And then John explains why. He says that anyone who is born of God and knows God will love others. That loving others is the the natural consequence of being united to God. Why? Because God is love. By which John doesn't mean that the words God and love are interchangeable. 
that, that God is love in some metaphysical sense, you know, where one might sing, have I told you lately that I, I God you, <laughs> or um, can you feel the God tonight? Now, when John says God is love, he has something else in mind. You know, it's more like the way Colonel Sanders can say, I am KFC. You know, he's not saying that he's fried chicken, but rather that fried chicken and the recipe, the secret recipe and, and the striped buckets are, are so closely tied up with him that without him, there is no KFC. And in the same way, without God, there is no love because he is the source and origin of love. And what is his love like? Well, you only have to look at the cross to answer that question. Because that's where God's love is seen most clearly. In the sending of his one and only son, Jesus, to die on a shameful cross in the place of hell-bound sinners like us. As an atoning sacrifice, bearing our guilt that we might be forgiven and adopted into his eternal family. Yeah, that's where we see God's love most clearly, at the cross. And what is it like? Well, it is undeserved and sacrificial and other-centred and lavish. That's God's love. That's true love. And obviously, that makes it so different from the, the kind of love the world has to offer, doesn't it? Which, let's face it, is so often conditional you know, it's, it's, it's iffy love. You know, I'll, I'll love you if you love me, if you're good-looking or talented, uh, if you make me look good, if you never let me down. The world's love is iffy love. That's completely different to, to God's love. And it's his kind of undeserved, sacrificial, other-centred, lavish love that John says these Christians are to now show one another. And when you think about it, it makes sense. Because as we've just seen, God is love. And now God has made his home in these Christians. He lives in them. And so it's only natural that his love would now flow through them to the people around them in such a way that the invisible God can be seen in the love of these Christians. In fact, John says, it's only as these Christians love one another that God's love is made complete in them. In other words, only then does it achieve its goal. Now, it's kind of like when I notice the plants in my garden at home starting to droop. Uh, what do I do? Okay, what does Beth do? Well, she gets the hose and she attaches it to the tap and turns it on. Then the hose fills with water. But that's not enough, is it? No, uh, the hose nozzle still needs to be turned on. It's not good enough for the water to just be in the hose. It has to flow out of the hose for it to achieve its goal. And it's the same with these Christians. 
It is not good enough for them to be united to God and have His love in them. God's goal is for His love to flow out from these Christians to those around them. And only then is His love made complete in them. Here, read with me from 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Do you get it? The God who is love now lives in these Christians. And so it's only natural that they show to others the same kind of undeserved, sacrificial, other-centred, lavish love that they were shown at the cross. But John doesn't want uh, these Christians to get the wrong impression that they're somehow saved by their acts of love. Uh, No, they're saved by God's love expressed at the cross. Jesus alone is the saviour of the world and it's God's spirit in these Christians that helps them to believe that to be true and to rely on his love for their salvation, not their own. But that said, it remains true that the same spirit who helped these Christians believe the gospel in the first place is now at work in them, helping them to love like Christ. And so whilst they should never rely on their own loving acts for salvation, these Christians should be able to see in their acts of love evidence that they are saved. As they become more like Jesus in the way they love others, it is proof that Christ's Spirit is at work in them. There should be something very reassuring about that for them, especially when they're former churchmates are telling them that they're damned. The fact is, as they love like Jesus, they show that God really is their father. And so they need not be afraid to meet him as their judge. As John puts it, perfect love drives out fear. By which, thankfully, he doesn't mean that only those with flawless love are ready to meet God. But he again has in mind that idea of of completed love. Love that has reached its goal by being shown to others. That's what he means by perfect love here. Like, Like water from a hose that has made its way onto the flowers. So John is saying that when Christ like love is seen coming from these Christians, it's evidence that they really are God's children. And so have nothing to fear. And I think that's often our experience too, isn't it? You know, when we're loving people for Jesus' sake, we feel close to God and and unashamed in his presence. 
But those times when we refuse to love and forgive, when our hearts are hard towards someone, it, it's then that there's that, that little bell deep down in our conscience that starts ringing, ding, 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 where we feel uneasy because we know God's displeased, where we just can't relax in his presence until we repent. But on the other hand, when we're basking in God's love and extending it to others, our conscience is clear. And that's why John says, there is no fear in love. Here, read with me from verse 13. Verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And so loving others isn't the means by which these Christians are saved, but it is a confirmation that they are. It shows that they belong to the God who is love. And so it rightly drives out any fear of judgment. But that's not the only thing God's love drives out. It also drives out hatred. Because now that they've received God's love, they can't help but love him back. But not just him, they'll love his children too. So anyone who says, I love God, whilst hating his children, hating their brothers and sisters, well, well, God says that person is a liar. They don't actually love God at all. And that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, you can be as nice as you like to me, but if you're nasty to my kids, then I'm here to tell you, I'm going to take it personally. And it's the same with God. But the reverse is also true. Love my kids. And you've found the way to my heart. Show kindness to them. And I feel the love too. Because because they're precious to me. Even if they do change my Zoom profile to a picture of a stuffed toy. They're precious to me. And so it is with God. When we show each other undeserved, sacrificial, other-centred, lavish love, that's God's love language, so to speak. It, it's a key way we show our love for him. But it can be hard, can't it? Loving fallen, sinful, messy people isn't always easy. And yet John claims that this command to love each other is not burdensome. How can he say that? Well, see, back before we were saved, 
loving someone who rubbed us the wrong way would have been a bit like, well, trying to water the garden with, with a hose that's not even connected to the tap. It would, would have been an impossible burden because our pre-Christian worldly nature was incapable of Christ-like love. But when we were born of God, He poured His love into our hearts and set us free to share it with others. In John's words, we've now overcome the world. And so, no, keeping this command to love isn't some impossible burden because we don't have to do it on our own. Here, read with me these final verses from verse 19. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. And with that, we come to the end of today's passage. What have we seen? Well, in the context of great pressure, John has exhorted these Christians to love one another. After all, the God who is love has now made his home in them. And his love is made complete in them when they pass, pass, it on, to, pass on to others the same kind of, of undeserved, sacrificial, other-centred, lavish love they received at the cross. When they love and not hate one another, it shows that they really are a part of God's family with no need to fear his judgment. So what does this passage have to say to all of us here in, in our context today? Well, of course, we're not in the same situation as John's readers, are we? You know, reeling from influential church members defecting to Judaism. But as I said at the start, we, like them, have our own stresses to deal with. And so we also need to heed God's message in these verses. And there are just two points that I want to make today. Firstly, a challenge, and secondly, an encouragement. Firstly, a challenge. I think it's fair to say that at times we all find ourselves in situations where loving a brother or sister can be really hard. Times when they hurt us or um, annoy us or take us for granted or, or just don't get us. We all have people in our lives that we struggle to love for whatever reason. And when you add on the stress of a lockdown... Well, it can be even harder, right? Yet, friends, here we see God's call for us to love one another. So how are we going to do it? 
Well, I think the first step has to be looking again to the cross. Looking again to the cross and letting God's love for an imperfect sinner like you and me. Fill us with mercy for the imperfect people in our lives. Friends, let's not be like the unmerciful servant in Jesus' parable and refuse to forgive others their debts when God has forgiven our infinitely greater debt. So to begin, let's, let's look again at the cross. And then I reckon that the second step, the second step is to pray. To pray, never forgetting that the God who is love now lives in you by his Holy Spirit. And he wants to help you love those people he's put in your life by no mistake. Christian, through Christ, you have overcome the world. And that means that it is no longer an impossible burden for you to love anyone. So pray and look to him for strength. And thirdly, well, thirdly, I I think it's then simply a matter of, well, just doing it, (laughs) of choosing to do something loving for the other person, whether you feel it or not. Remembering that that true love is, is never conditional, that it is not iffy love, you know, I'll love you if you do this or if you do that. No, 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 true love, it's unconditional, it's undeserved. And so we choose to just do it. When you do, don't be surprised if your relationship with the other person does actually start to improve. But you know what? Even if it doesn't, you can feel the warm smile of your Heavenly Father upon you as you show love to his child. Of course, this side of heaven will never, will never love each other perfectly and uh, praise God, our salvation is not dependent on our love, but he is. At times we will have sinful, selfish setbacks. But friends, when we hear that, that little bell ringing deep in our conscience, ding, 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 Let's not ignore it. But let's be quick to repent and once again open up the the nozzle to let God's love flow through us to one another. So that's the challenge. Loving each other, even during lockdown. And now for the encouragement. Which takes us back to that point of how... uh, All the power of God now stands behind us when we make the decision to love. I mean, think about it. The same miracle-working God who brought down the walls of Jericho can break down the walls of bitterness between his children. The same God who made water flow from a rock can make his love flow from our hard and loveless hearts. 
the God who, who multiplied bread and fish to feed a multitude, can take our small acts of love and use them to bless people in ways we could never imagine. And when you think about it, perhaps these are the greatest miracles of all. And that means that as the people in our church choose to love one another, we all get a front row seat to the mighty power of God at work. What does that look like? Well, let's imagine for a moment. Okay? Let, let's imagine, let's imagine. Imagine a church member named Shy Sharon. Now, Zoom breakout rooms are way out of her comfort zone. And, and, and she's tempted to avoid them at all costs. But God's love gives her the courage to, to stick around. And she's finding that even if she doesn't always know what to say, she can show love to others simply by being a caring listener. That is the mighty power of God at work. Or imagine a married couple called Angry Angus and Bitter Betty. Years of conflict have taken their toll and their love has turned to hatred. But then they remember God's lavish, undeserved love for them and decide to forgive one another as they have been forgiven. And slowly but surely, their marriage starts to turn around. That is the mighty power of God at work. Then there's Fringy Freddy. He's been coming to church for years now, but, but still hasn't put up his hand to serve in any way. But reflecting on the way Christ has served him makes him want to serve others too. So when the Serving 2022 booklet comes out in October, he eagerly signs up to help out wherever he can. That is the mighty power of God at work. Oh, but let's not forget Stingy Stanley. You know, parting with his hard-earned cash has always been painful. But as he begins to understand God's generous love for him, he, his heart starts to change. And now, whenever there's an appeal at church for a cause that helps God's family grow, he joyfully jumps online to make his contribution, trusting God to provide for his needs. That is the mighty power of God at work. And finally... There's clicky Clara. <laughs> now, she has a close circle of long-time friends. Doesn't feel any need to branch out. But then she remembers how God drew her in when she was an outsider. So now, she is the first to welcome any new girl who turns up to youth group. Friends, these are all modern-day miracles. So be encouraged. Because God wants to do a miracle of love in your heart too. 
that will rival his parting of the Red Sea or turning water into wine. What an amazing thought, hey? That as we love our brothers and sisters, others will see the invisible God through us. It'll be obvious that we are his people, that he is among us. So let me ask, who are you going to love today? Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for loving us and for teaching us to love one another. Help us turn away from hatred and bitterness and love one another so that through us people will catch a glimpse of you. Do a miracle in our hearts during this lockdown, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.